salvation, past, present, and future. Look at Romans 8, verse 28. Here the Bible says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Today we're going to talk about salvation, past, present, and future. Once I receive Christ into my life as my personal Savior, what in the world happened to me? What's going on? We're going to talk about that. Let's have prayer first. Father, in these next few minutes as we look at your word and a very important part of your word, Lord, open our hearts and minds and help us to understand, maybe for the first time, what is really going on in our life every day. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and for his sacrifice and that we have forgiveness of our sins and we've been reconciled to you and we've been given spiritual life lord help us to realize today that's not where it ends that's only the beginning and so lord show us what is actually going on in our life right now so that we can plug into that purpose and allow you to make life the way it ought to be father we love you thank you for your bible in jesus name amen you ever wonder sometimes um after you get saved, what in the world is going on in your life? I mean, you know, here I am. I call myself a Christian. Well, what does that mean? I mean, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? Does that mean that I, um, I, I get up on Sunday morning, I go to Sunday school, and I go to church, and I sing the hymns, and then I read my Bible a little bit during the week, and every now and then I invite somebody to go to church with me, and, and uh, I tithe on my income. and I mean, is, is that what being... A Christian really is. I mean, is that it? When when I accepted Christ into my life, and when all that the Bible talks about happened to me at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me. I get spiritual life. I I don't have to worry about going to hell when I die. I get to look forward to going to heaven one day. Is that really all that's going on? Well, I would say to you that. First of all, no, that's not all that's going on. That's only the beginning. But second of all, I would also say to you that I think a lot of times as believers, we tend to lose sight of what God is really trying to do in our life. This morning, Ed said something in the message that, and and he's amazing at the way he brings things out that I've never really thought about. For example, he said that, you know, Jesus... Never invited anybody to eat with him until the Last Supper. And he invited those apostles to eat with him. He was always the one being invited. But the one thing he said was, he said, you know, it's interesting that whenever Jesus was invited to eat with people, he went and he ate with sinners. And, and of course, we all kind of know why he did that. But when he invited the apostles, he said, you know, I have been looking forward to doing this. I've been looking forward to meet with you. 
And I think part of the reason was because he wanted one more time to explain to them what exactly he was doing in their life. And he said, you know, and, and here's the thing that struck me. He said, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, what did he say to do? He said, do this in remembrance of me. He said, you notice we only get baptized once. We do this Lord's Supper a lot. He then said, you know, most of us may be looking at each other thinking, how in the world, Lord, like the apostle, how can we ever forget you? And then he made the statement that kind of struck me. But the fact is, we do. Don't we? We do. Our lives get tangled up in this web of living. Stress comes. Financial issues come. Job issues come. Relationship issues come. Life kind of gets confused sometimes. And we have a tendency to forget that God is in the midst of all of that. So I want you to look with me at Romans 8, and we're going to talk about salvation past, present, and future for just a minute. First of all, let me just define it for you real quick. Salvation past simply means that when we receive Christ as our Savior, we were saved from the penalty of our sin. This is also known as regeneration. Ephesians 2.1 says that before we were saved, we were dead in trespasses and sins. What that means is, you and I had no spiritual life. I mean, we, we, we had nothing about us that wanted God as a part of our life. When we realized that we needed Him and accepted Him, He gave us new life, spiritual life. Number two, salvation present is right now. We are being saved from the power of sin in our life. This is called sanctification. This is a process, as we'll see in a minute, whereby God is making us like Jesus Christ. And then finally, number three, salvation future is being saved completely from the presence of sin when we get to heaven. That's called glorification. Now, he talks about all of these in the verses we read. So I want you to look with me. We're going to look at three things today. God's purpose in salvation, God's process, and then the progression. What is actually going on in my life every day? First of all, the first two we're going to look at just really, really quick. God's purpose. Romans 8, 28. Most everybody in here, if you know anything about the Bible, you've probably not only heard this verse, you've said it, you've quoted it, you've had people quote it to you, and we, we all kind of know this. But we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Now that's a really, really good thing to say when everything in my life is falling apart. And I know that somewhere in this mess, Something good is going to happen to me today. But what really is the verse saying? So I want you to look at it with me, and let's break it down and talk about it for a minute. First of all, Paul says, we know. This is something he's convinced of. This is, he doesn't say, I hope this is going to happen. He said, I know this. This is a fact. This is what's going on. Number two, he says, that in all things. That includes everything about my life. Everything, every little minute detail of my life, every circumstance, every person, every situation, everything, that in all things, God works. Not just me. I think sometimes we say a verse and we just kind of skip over this real fast. Here's the fact. God is the one who is constantly, every day, every moment of my life, 
working on me. Any of you ever sang that little Sunday school song? He's still working on me. You know, be patient with me. He's still working on me. And that is a biblical fact. He is. Every day, Philippians 2.13, For it's God who works in you, both the will and the do of His good pleasure. He is accomplishing His purpose in my life. He is working in my life every day. There is never a day in Bill Crockett's life when God says, Well, I'm going to take a nap for a while, Bill, so just don't screw things up too bad. He never does that. Every second of my life, he has got a hold of me, and he's directing what's going on. Then, next, we know that in all things, God works for the good. That word good is the Greek word that literally means to the benefit of. Everything God does as he works in my life is to benefit me. And then he tells me what is beneficial to me. He says, we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Who have been called, and we'll, we'll see in a minute, that's just basically referring to the fact that you have trusted Christ as your Savior. That's what that is. According to his purpose. Now here's what we want to see here. What is his purpose? The moment I accepted Christ as my Savior, a purpose had already been predetermined for me, and it's kicked in. The moment I trust Christ, God's purpose starts taking track. What is it? Look at the next verse, verse 29. For those God foreknew. By the way, what do you know about them? He knew they would accept Christ as their Savior. He knew they'd get saved. Can you explain that? No, I can't. Before you were ever born, God knew whether or not you'd get saved. He knew whether or not you'd repent, believe, and receive Christ. He already knew that. Can I explain how that works with me having to make my choice? Nope. Because he's God. I, I just can't explain that. But he knew it. So, because he knew everybody that would accept Christ, he predetermined something for all those people. Look at what he says. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Someone says, you know, it's just my destiny to do this. What does that mean? Well, it has, before the world began, been predetermined that I end up like this. Well, in a very raw sense, that's what God's talking about. Before you and I were ever created, God predetermined. He predestinated. He decided beforehand and said it will happen. That something was going to happen to everybody that got saved. What is it? Look at the verse again. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image and likeness of his Son. You know what God's purpose in salvation for us ultimately is? That every one of us be like Jesus Christ. In every aspect of our life. Next week when we look at Jesus, our Savior, and our example, we're going to actually look at some practical ways that God wants you and I to be like Jesus. First of all, we can't be like Jesus in his omniscience. That means he knows everything. Well, you and I are never going to know everything. We'll never be all powerful. We'll never be God. So if I'm supposed to be conformed to his likeness, what does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about that next week. And you'll find out just a little bit of these areas that God is trying to make us like Jesus. But here's what he goes on to say. 
Look at the next verse. Verse 30. And those he predestined. Well, who are those people? Well, back to verse 29. It's the ones that he knew would get saved. So he predestined them. He predestined them to what? To be conformed to the likeness of his son. So if I've got Jesus Christ in my heart as my Savior, I know one fact. I have been, my destiny is to one day be exactly like Jesus Christ in his image. In whatever that means, and we'll learn that next week. But I know that there's nothing that can stop that now. It's been predetermined that that's what I'm going to be like. You know, I've, I was talking to um, some young people years ago, and we were talking about all the things that God does in our life to cause us to act and live and love and serve and be all those things now in our life like Jesus was. And, of course, one of the, one of the younger ones said, Oh, that don't sound like any fun. I don't want to do that right now. Do I have to do it right now? And I told him, no, you don't have to do it now, but you will have to do it one day. And if you don't want to live like Jesus, you're probably not going to like heaven a whole lot. Because everybody there is like him. And that's what we're going to see in just a minute, okay? So, he goes on to say, those that he predestined, there had to be a process. So, number one, the purpose is for us to be like Jesus. Number two, there's a process, verse 30. How do I get there? Well, first of all, he says in verse 30, those he predestined, that he knew would get saved, so he's going to make them like Jesus, he had to call them first. We don't have time to go through all this. Simply that means that God convicted our heart and caused us to realize we needed a Savior. That Savior was Jesus. And salvation involved repentance, turning from my sin to Christ, believing Believing that God said Jesus was the Messiah, so I trusted him. And then receiving. For as many as received him, Paul said, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. So, salvation is simply repenting, believing, and receiving Christ. That happens when God convicts my heart and calls me. That's why Isaiah said, call upon him while he's near. While in my heart I realize I need him. So, and we don't have time to go through all that, but those that he knew would receive Christ, they went through a process. They were called. They repented, they believed, and they received. Number two, those he called, he justified. That means he made them innocent in the court of heaven. He gave them the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, so we could be made the righteousness of God in him. He made me innocent, and he gave me the righteousness of Christ. And then those that he justified, by the way, I can't be conformed to the image of Christ until I get justified. That has to happen first. My relationship with God has got to be made right first. Then the third thing he says, those that he justified, he also glorified. Now, what is that? That's the end of the road. That's the ultimate graduation. I've given you some verses in our notes. This is the redemption of the body. In Romans chapter 8, verse 23, Paul said, We are all groaning now. Life is tough because we have a body that's full of sin and we've got to battle sin all the time. But we are waiting for the adoption to come. The redemption of our body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 58 talks about that. That's when the corruptible, Paul says, the body that sins, will put on incorruption. How's that going to happen? 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says that in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. That's when Jesus comes. 
at the resurrection. He's going to change us. This body of Bill Crockett that sins all the time is going to go from corruptible to incorruptible. It's going to go from a body that sins to a body that has no sin anymore. It won't sin anymore. It's going to go from mortal, a body that dies, to immortality, a body that will never die. Revelation 21.4 says that in heaven there is no more death. So that's what happened. That's glorification. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, John tells us how this ties in with the purpose of salvation. Now, again, what's the purpose of salvation? That we be conformed to the image of who? Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We, we are part of the family. But it does not yet appear what we shall be. For we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we will see Him as He is. At that day, the salvation process will be complete. And the mortal will become immortal. The corruptible will become incorruptible. And we will be just like Jesus. In the sense that we will not sin anymore and we will not die anymore. Now, that's where we're going. So, I want you to look at point number three, the progression. So, if that's where we're going and that's what His purpose is, then what in the world is going on in my life right now? Well, this is that process called sanctification. This is that process whereby God, through the Holy Spirit and His Word, is working on Bill Crockett to slowly conform me in my earthly existence so that daily I'm a little bit more living my life like Jesus lived His life when He was here. He is my example. After all, He's the one that I'm headed to be like. But God's not going to just let me live however I want to right now and then zap all at once make everything change and I, He wants me to live like Him now. Why? Because Jesus reminded us in Matthew chapter 5 that we're the light of the world and we're the salt of the earth. And if other people are going to come to know Him and believe in Him, those who already know Him have got to carry His likeness with them. Do you remember in the book of Acts, whenever there was persecution in Jerusalem, and the Bible says that the believers were scattered and they went as far as Antioch? Something happened to the Christian church in Antioch that was a new. It was a beginning. They were called something in Antioch that they had never been called before. Does anybody remember what it was? Christians. For the very first time, they were called Christians. Remember we started this morning by saying, what does it mean to be a Christian? You know what that word literally means? Little Christ. Literally. You know why they call them Christians? Because all you people walk around acting like that Jesus. You don't just talk about Him. You act like Him. You live like Him. You believe the things He believed. That's what being a Christian is. Well, what is that? That is God conforming me to His image. Now, I want you to take your Bible and let's look at two verses and then we're going to be done, alright? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look here. And I want to show you three areas of our life where God is making us like Jesus. Now remember, this is the 
sanctification process. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible talks about three areas of our life. Paul is finishing up this book, this letter, and he says in verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians 5, May God himself, and by the way, remember, he's the one doing the work anyway. May God himself, the God of peace, that's important, by the way, we're going to see that again in just a second, sanctify you, there's our word, sanctification. He's working in me to mold me and conform me to the image of his son. Sanctify you through and through in every single aspect of your existence. And then he tells us, what that is. Look at the next phrase. May your whole or complete spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, someone might stop right there and say, uh-oh, does that mean we got to work at this to make sure that when Jesus gets here, I'm blameless, and if I'm not, I'm not going to get to go to heaven? No, that's not what it means. He's saying This is what God is doing. And by the way, you will be blameless when he gets here. Why? Look at the very next verse, verse 24. Because the one who calls you, remember Romans 8? Those he predestined, he called. Those that are saved. Because the one who calls you is faithful. And who's going to make sure I stay blameless? He is. And he will do this. Not you. He's going to do it. But you need to understand what he's doing. He is sanctifying you, Bill, through and through in your spirit, your soul, and your body. Now, real quick, what are those three things? And I've listed them for you. When he talks about our spirit, that is that part of us that was made alive again when we received Christ. Spiritual life, Ephesians 2.1. This has to do practically with our intimacy with God. How is my own personal relationship between me and God? And that's, that, by the way, that don't have nothing to do with church. don't have nothing to do with Bible study. It doesn't have nothing to do with my neighbor or my roommate or my husband or my wife. That's me and God, and how are we getting along? Do we talk to each other? Do we know each other? Do I trust him? And by the way, you know the answer on his side. He talks to us all the time. He knows everything about us. How is your personal intimacy with God? If you, like John, were put on an island all by yourself and God's all you had, would you have to be introduced to him? Or would you already know him? And you've already walked together. That's one reason why all these things happen in our life. Number two, our soul. What is this? This is the part of man that refers to our mind, our will, and our emotions. This is that part in between our ears that we battle with. Remember our series we did some time ago called The Battle for Our Emotions? depression and inferiority and low self-esteem, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's the soul of a man. That's what makes me, me, and you, you. That's what makes us different on the inside. So God is working not only in my intimacy with Him, but He's also working on the inside of me. There are other passages, we don't have time to look at them, that refer to how God builds our character, how we are on the inside. As a man thinks in his heart, so easy. God is molding all that. Why? Philippians 2.5. So that we can say, like Paul did in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. The word mind there means mind, attitude, and thinking. God wants us to think like Jesus, to have the same attitude He did. 
To be like Him. That's why Romans 12, 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our what? Our mind. So God is working on me to make me like Jesus in my personal relationship with Him, in my mind, in my decisions, in my emotions. And then finally, number three, in my body. What is this? This is the physical actions that I'm involved in every day. Remember what Paul said in the book of Romans and also in 1 Corinthians about the body of Christ, that we're members and we should not use the members of our body to commit sin. We should use them as instruments of righteousness to serve and represent Christ. So God works in our lives in three basic areas. My spiritual intimacy with Him, personal relationship. Number two, my inside, my mind, my will, my emotions. And then my outside, my physical actions, the things that I do. So when God is working on me to conform me to the image of Jesus, He wants me to have the same kind of personal relationship with Him that Jesus had when He was here. He wants me to think and act and emotionally respond and make decisions just like Jesus did when He was here. He wants me to physically be involved in doing the types of things that Jesus did when He was here. Why? Because he's trying to make me like Jesus. We'll talk more about that next week. Then finally, there are three things that come with this. Take your Bible and close it and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. There are three things that God uses in our lives that are very important. And without these three things, you and I are never going to believe that being made like Jesus is beneficial for us. But he gives us three things that we don't deserve, that make being like Jesus worthwhile. Look at Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, remember Romans 8, those he called, he justified. Since we've been justified through faith, we have, first of all, peace. What is it in my life right now that is robbing me of my peace? What is it in my life right now that I'm going through that's got me in a big turmoil? What is it I'm worried about? What is it that's keeping me from waking up tomorrow and enjoying life? Because God wants me to have peace. If I've been justified through faith, I'm supposed to have peace. Being like Jesus brings peace. Let's keep going because it gives us something else. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace. That's the second thing he gives us. Grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope. What hope? But we rejoice in our sufferings because they produce. And then he goes on and talks about all this stuff that gets produced in our life through suffering. Well, what are all those things that are being produced in our life through suffering doing? They're making us more like Jesus. So here's what he gives us. Number one, he wants us to have peace. My life should not be lived in constant turmoil. Doesn't mean we're not going to go through some. The disciples went through it on the sea, remember, in the boat? But what did Jesus do when he got there? He calmed it. And what did he say? Peace. Be still. That's what he wants for my life. Number two, in order to do that, we've got to realize we have access to grace. What is grace? Well, it's the thing that saved us. For by grace are you saved. Through faith. What does that mean? That means God's given me everything that I don't deserve, and He's not given me what I really deserve. 
Like Ed said this morning, if we all got what we really deserve because of the way we live, none of us would be here right now. And the thing we need to remember is that every day of our life, that's how God looks at us. None of us are like Jesus. And we all, even though most all of us, I believe, probably try, we all blow it. God never looks at us like we sometimes look at other people and get frustrated. I cannot believe that Bill Crockett is 52 years old. The guy's been saved since he was 15, and he ain't no better than he is right now. I mean, come on, you are a hopeless case. Now, lots of human beings do that, but God has never done that. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. He doesn't treat us and look at us like we sometimes treat each other. That's grace. Every day of my life, I have access to that grace. I can go ask God to forgive me and make it better even though I don't deserve it. And then finally, there's hope. What is hope? Hope is what every human being needs to keep living. The day you lose hope is the day you stop living. The moment you think there is no hope is the day you're going to pull the gun out. And I'm telling you, Satan wants nothing more than to get all of us to that point. The title theme verse for our series we're starting in October is John 10.10, where Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, but I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God doesn't want you to die. God wants you to live. God doesn't want me to get to the place where life is unlivable. God doesn't want me to get to the place where I don't want to exist anymore. God wants me to get to the place where I live and I live right. I live the way life is supposed to be lived. And what is that? Living my life the way Jesus lived His during the 33 years He was here. The next week, we'll talk about that. Father, thank you for your words. 